You may be seated. The Word of God, that's the basis for the sermon today, is our Bible reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, printed on page 4 in your worship folder and projected. The Apostle Paul writes this, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. Peggy Uly boarded her Southwest Airlines flight in Chicago at Midway Airport, and she was headed, I think, to Ohio. Uh, the plane was taxiing away from the gate. She turned her phone off like a good airline passenger, and uh, A short time later, the plane turned back around and taxied back to the gate. A flight attendant came to Peggy and escorted her off the plane. She thought she was in trouble or she thought she she boarded the wrong flight. It turned out that her husband had called Southwest Airlines, knowing that she was flying, knowing her flight number, had called Southwest Airlines and asked her, asked Southwest Airlines to retrieve her and to bring her home because her 24-year-old son had a traumatic head injury. Before Peggy even got off the plane, Southwest Airlines employees had made arrangements for her to get on a flight to Denver to get her home as soon as possible, had packed a lunch for her, and had made arrangements so that it can make this transition as she was in this traumatic moment as easy and stress-free for her as possible. Uh, We love our customers. That's what Southwest Airlines believe. Maybe that's why some of you fly them more often. Uh, rave reviews all over the internet and of people who fly a lot. Love Southwest Airlines. Com- customer service like that takes work. It takes commitment. Uh, it takes an underlying culture of a company and not just some nice models that are on plaques in the office and in the lobby, right? It takes constant teaching of your employees. This is what is important. There's a couple of hotels that I stay at regularly. Or, cyclically, seasonally, in conferences that I go to. And it's real interesting. One of them, more than any other, I can tell that they work on this. And they have, they have plaques up that they've won, J.D. Power and Associates Awards for hospitality. And every single employee at that hotel, and I'm talking every employee, from the guy who's mopping the floor, to the housekeeper, to the people at the front desk, 
to anyone, to the servers who are helping you when you're eating. Every one of them look at you, greet you, ask you how you're doing, and if they can do anything to make your stay better. And you can tell that they work on this. This is a commit. It's hard work and it's a commitment. We work on it as a church as well, especially on Sunday mornings. It takes a commitment because it's difficult and it's not natural. Because people are messy and they're hard to love and sometimes they're hard to like. It's hard for you. Jesus gives you the call and the command to love others just as he loves you. And he gives me that command too. And you can make that difficult for me and I can make that difficult for you and other people in our lives make that hard for us. But we have the encouragement and the promise of Jesus this morning in his scriptures. He gives us two big reasons why we can love other people the way that he tells us to love them. Here's the first one. I love you because Jesus loves you. That's a big reason. So, think of any person that you want. Now, any person. You can make them up in your head. You can think of a real person. Any person, anywhere, at any time, doing anything. Jesus loves them. That's what the Bible says. Jesus loves your good neighbors and your bad neighbors. Jesus loves considerate drivers who, when they're driving slowly, drive in the right lane. And when they park in a parking spot, they park between the lines. And Jesus loves inconsiderate drivers who drive slowly in the left lane. And when they park, they like take up a spot in a third. Jesus loves everybody. Okay? Jesus loves your child and the sixth grader who is bullying your child and the vice principal who seems overwhelmed and isn't dealing with the problem. Jesus loves law-abiding citizens and Jesus loves the criminals who are packing our prisons. Jesus loves Lutherans and Catholics too and Muslims, all of them. There is not a single person in the history of this world or the future of this world or this present world whom Jesus does not love. That's what this says in 2 Corinthians. Look at verses 14 and 15. And, uh, and here's, here's the issue. Now Jesus calls us to love all those people too. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. All right, so let's unpack that verse a little bit. Look at some key components um, of that verse, beginning with with the title Christ. You know the difference between Jesus and Christ? Jesus is his personal name, like Darren, Jesus. Christ is his title, like Pastor Christ is a title. It means Messiah. And so his, his personal name has to do with his person. His title has to do with his work. Uh, the Bible uses them interchangeably. There's not always a lot of deep reason or thought behind why the Bible will use him, just like you might refer to him as Jesus or Christ or Lord or, or to refer to God as God or Father or, and not have a big reason for it. It just it comes out. But it might be the case here that 
Paul refers to him as Christ because he's talking about his work. And what's his work? Says it. What's his work? He died for all. As a matter of fact, it says that twice. So, Jesus died for all humanity. Jesus does not die for you unless Jesus needs to die for you. And the reason Jesus needs to die for you is because you're a sinner. Therefore, if Jesus died for all people, all people are sinners. And we're all under sin's control of us. It wants to take us and make us do what it wants us to do with the devil as its ally. We're all under sin's consequences. And the consequences of sin really are wrapped up in what the Bible uses, the word death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. Separation from God, suffering under God's justice and anger. That's the consequence of anyone who's a sinner, and we're all sinners, therefore we all deserve those consequences. That's all packed into that, that phrase. But God couldn't just, you know, close his eyes and pretend that's not the case. He still loves us, but he found a way for a substitute a representative to suffer the consequences of sin for us. And that's where this verse says, one died for all. I think it's interesting that in the, in the spiritual climate of our culture today, our world in general doesn't like to admit that there's something universally significant about Jesus. Okay? They will say, hey, Jesus, why, what a great guy. If he works for you, I'm happy for you. If he happens to work for you and he's your buddy and you think that he does things in your life, great, he doesn't do things in my life, I'm going to worship Buddha or Allah or something or someone else or not even have religion. Right? That's our world's attitude toward Jesus. But what what does the Bible say? What does God himself say through the Apostle Paul right here in his word? He looks at every person in existence ever and looks them in the eye and he says, Jesus loves you. Universally. Jesus is universally significant because he died for universally all people. And all people were there when he died on the cross. God so loved the... See? All right. Now, think about this. Jesus, Jesus sharing in our death makes it possible so that we share in his death. There's a, there's a unity there. You were on the cross when he was there. Your sins were punished in him and the world's sins. And then you and the world receive the benefits of Jesus' death. That's why this verse says, Therefore, one died for all, therefore all died. So on the cross, God dealt with his sin, with your sins, by his anger and his justice, and he dealt with them once and for all. It's all done. He poured out his anger. He called it the cup of his wrath, right? And he poured it out. There's nothing left in it, not even a drop. He dealt with his anger for your sins and his justice in his own son Jesus. And he dealt with the world's sins on the cross. All those people I mentioned before, even those drivers. On the cross, God dealt with their sins. 
The Bible says of Jesus that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the... Let's see, universal. So that truth makes a big difference in our friendships and our relating to other people. Especially people who are hard to love, especially people who are, who are in broken relationships with them for some reason. And maybe even they're the ones who are at fault. That truth, that universal significance is so important when we think about loving, loving other people. Remember, Jesus loves everybody. So, that contractor who messed up a, a house project at your place, and it's hard to love that guy, just say to yourself, when you think of him, Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves everybody. Your dad, who wasn't there for you when you needed him when you were a kid, Jesus loves everybody. Your ex, who makes life difficult for you, Jesus loves everybody. Your friend, who wants to blame you for everything, Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves everybody. The hacker who stole your identity. Jesus loves everybody. The lady at ATB who took the cart that you were going to take to go shopping with. These things come. Jesus loves everybody. Jesus loves everybody. Now, here's where now it makes a difference for us who are believers. Here's, here's the change that it makes in us. The fact that Jesus loves us and died for us. It's this section where, where it says, Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, united with Christ, his death, not, he, he, Christ died for all people, but believing now in his death, believing that we're united with him, now that changes us as his followers, as believers. And we no longer live like we used to live. And we no longer live for our selfish, natural instincts. We no longer worry about ourselves and put ourselves first above others. We give all that up like Jesus gave himself up for us. And, and we live for him. We live for our Savior, Jesus. Um, so it doesn't just... Uh, that truth of his death his, and, and his resurrection that isn't just to ensure us of a later place of peace living in heaven someday. It's not just an insurance policy. It changes how we live. And it changes how we see people. We see people then as Jesus sees them. And when we see people as Jesus sees them, we love them. How many of them? All of them. Christ's love compels us, it says. So, yeah, loving other people is hard. There might be one or two people that you're starting to think about as I'm talking about this in your life that are just tough to love or have given you enough reason to say, I, I don't even want to love them. And your heart 
Your natural instincts might be thinking that. And that, that happens. It means you're human. Now Jesus says, I'm not just commanding you to love that person and walking away. I'm changing you so that you can love that person. And I'm changing you so that you can live for me. Um, so that Christ's love compels us. He's the source of your love for others. It doesn't start with you. It doesn't end with you. But it involves you. It starts with Jesus' love for all people. It ends with your love for all people. And in the middle, there you are. Jesus making you his agent, his ambassador, it says later. Um, The word there is where it says Christ's love compels us. The, The idea there is captivates us. Paul had been captivated, had been captured by Jesus, and then literally became a prisoner when he was writing some of his New Testament letters. Paul never tired of being captured by Christ. He said, Christ Jesus, I'm your slave. I want, I want to do what you want me to do. And so that's the meaning of this word compels. Christ's love captivates us. It makes us say, why would I do anything other? I, I will love them as Jesus loves them. I must. I have to. I want to. I belong to Jesus. And then we change the world. And Jesus changes the world. Not by zapping them, but Jesus changes the world and lets his love captivate them by sending us to them so that we love them too. So this all puts you at an advantage when it comes to relating to other people. Um, look at verse 19. Um, there's, there are, in our religion and Christianity, there are no infidels out there who don't deserve God's love. In, in the religion of the true God and the true Bible, there is no one existing on this planet who is beyond the reach of God's love and his mercy and his forgiveness. Nobody. And that's what this says here now in verse 19. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God's not a bookkeeper. God does not have his pen out, ready to mark his blacklist. With everything, every little thing that you do wrong, and every time you do something wrong, he marks something down. No matter what grandma told you when you're a little kid, you know, and kind of threatened you with, you know, God's going to get you for that one. But God's not a bookkeeper. God's not keeping score. He's not counting. He's not tallying your sins up to see how bad he can make life for you because of it. He. God doesn't work that way. It's, right, not counting people's sins against them. Every people, every person, God doesn't count their sins because they are at the cross. Jesus sees every person as a precious soul, and we do too. I was reminded of this uh, classic Peanuts cartoon. Uh, Charles Schultz is the author of the Peanuts cartoons, and it's uh, it's Lucy con- trying to convince Linus that he can't be a doctor, and she says, "Linus, you can't be a doctor because you don't love mankind." And Linus says, "Well, I love mankind. It's people that I cannot stand." 
I tell you what, my heart is just a mess when it comes to loving people because I can, I can be here on a Sunday morning and I, I can pray about world peace, pray about uh, my family living in harmony with each other. I can sing about uh, my, my church being at peace and loving each other. I can, I can just think of world harmony and peace, right? Uh, when I was a kid, I just, you know, te- teamwork. I want my team to do well. I want my company to, to be great. All that. And then come another moment. Even Sunday afternoon, there can be a church meeting, and someone can say something in a church meeting that basically disagrees with my opinion. And my human heart wants to condemn and criticize that person simply because they're disagreeing with me, whose opinion matters the most. I say with Paul, what a wretched man I am. Right? You can join a team. So, you kids, I'm, I'm talking to you teenagers, I'm talking to you Nick, Logan, all right, Josephs, Miles, I'm talking to you guys, right? You can be part of a team and say, hey, it's all about the team. Cole, I see you back there too. It's all about the team. Yay, team. And then when your coach decides to play someone else instead of you, then your coach is like, what is he doing? He's the worst coach in the world. He's not playing me, right? Like we start, we start to think about ourselves more than others. You get irritated with the person in your family who doesn't get on board with the plans that you have for the family because your plans are the best, but they're not agreeing with them. You, you, you feel like you're entitled to condemn anyone whose viewpoint differs from yours and do it in a public way. That... That's what this cartoon personifies, um, and I think this, it hits all of us. Um, I thought of it in this way: we, we're okay with thinking of the world, of thinking of mankind and humanity, when it's this this orb floating in space, and it's filled with people, and it's perfectly circular and kind of beautiful, and we notice the hemispheres and the continents. And we look at it and we say, ah, oh, I love that. And sometimes there's pictures of it in Jesus' hands. And isn't that so nice? But when the world gets personal and has a face and it steps on your toes, that's when it's, that's when it's difficult. That, that's when humanity and mankind becomes people. And people are hard to love. There's really no other choice if we're going to be Bible-believing Christians. Either we love everyone the way that God loves them, or we suffer the consequences of deciding not to do that. I can think of more than one or two parables of Jesus where he tells the parables to people who do not want to show the same mercy and kindness and love to others that they themselves want. And it never ends well for those people, ever.
Think of Jesus' parable of the unmerciful servant as an example. Never ends well for those people, ever. Um, so we, 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 we hurt others. When we hurt others, we hurt God. When we get offended by others because they simply disagree with us, we're offending God. When we think that we have the right to put people into categories and to love some of them, the platinum select people, but not the other people, when we judge them, God's going to judge us. That's, that's the truth of Scripture. People are important to God, all of them. But included in that all is us. Jesus loves everybody, even you. So something that we rejoice in today, um, and we repent as we face those facts, and, and, and this is the scriptural truth, that, that Jesus' love is not just universal, it's also personal. It's, it's both. Jesus' love is both universal and it's also personal. It, it applies to you as an individual human being as much as it applies to all humanity. Um, he, not, God's not counting people's sins against them. Do you catch that? So, so Christ died for all and then it says people's sins. That's, these are individuals. So Christ's love is both cosmic and also careful for each individual. It's for all and it's also for each. Think about some of the promises in Scripture about how God's love is personalized for you. Um, it's, like, it's like you filled out a personal profile on a website and with, with everything, and totally honest, everything you've ever thought, said, or done, even your sins, it's not just a painting a pretty picture, but it's brutally honest, and God went out searching for those very fields and those very features that you put on there that are icky and ugly. God searched for those. And he typed everything in that just happened to match your profile personally. And your profile comes up on the screen. And he sees it, everything, the bad stuff. The icky, he sees it and he says, I love that person. That's what he did. He searched for you, and he found you, and now he loves you individually and personally. Everything that you are. How does the Bible convince you of that? The Bible says that God the Father counts every hair on your head and knows the exact number of your hairs. So turn to the person next to you right now and look at them and see if you can guess how much hair they have. Some of you, it'll be easier than others. God's doing that. That right, Wasn't that kind of silly? God, now God's doing that all the time, the Bible says. A small little, what we think is a silly thing, it says God is so personalized with his care for you that he knows that number. The person next to you doesn't even know it. They have to guess. But God knows that number. Your father. And Jesus wants to be so personal with you. Here's what he did. He says... I, I want to be so intimate with you. I want to physically touch you, even though I'm in heaven. And I want you to physically touch me. So I want to give to you my very body and blood that I sacrificed on the cross when I died for you in the world. And I want you to touch it in Holy Communion. And I want it to touch you in Holy Communion. 
For you, he says when he's giving the sacrament, for you individually, as personalized love and care. The Holy Spirit is so intimate with you, and he knows you better than you know yourself. The Holy Spirit, when you're praying, can finish your sentences for you. He knows you and what you need and what you want that well. And when you're confused and you're not sure what to pray for and you start mumbling to God like we do, and, and he's, he's, he figures it out and he personalizes even your prayer request to God. That's God's personal love and care. Um, that's how much he loves you personally, one-on-one, -on -one, individually. Um, David says in Psalm 139 to God, he says, You know me. You know when I get up, you know when I sit down, you know my thoughts from afar, you know a word before it's on my tongue. All of that is meant not to frighten any of us, but to comfort us. That's how intimate and personal God loves you. So there's this verse that Jesus says, it's in John chapter 10, if you have your Bibles along today, this would be a good one for you to find and look at while I'm reading it. Um, John chapter 10, beginning at verse 14. Beautiful promise of Jesus about his, his personal love for you. Uh, words about being your shepherd. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 14. Here's what Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Wow, that, that close. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. He, Jesus loves you that personally, and he also has others he loves personally, and he sends you to them. That's what he's saying there. So reason number two that I can love you, reason number one was I love you because Jesus loves everybody, because Jesus loves you. Reason number two, I can love you because Jesus loves me. Right? So there's uh, three parts of the verse here, of the text, that I want to rattle off here that show this truth, that pound it home. Right? Verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. That, that person who feels entitled and is enamored with their own opinion, that person who has to put their interests in front of others in order to survive, that, that's not you anymore. God says, that person's gone. I don't know who they are, but that's not you. You're the new person who knows Jesus loves you, knows Jesus died for you, and wants to live for him. And so you say, when you think about loving others and how difficult it is, you don't look at it as a dilemma and say, I'm never going to figure that one out. I'm staying away. You say, I'm going to jump in the mess of this soup, and no matter what happens, Jesus is going to love me, and he's going to help me love that other person. That's what you say when you trust in Jesus in that way. All right, verses 18, 18 through 20. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. All right, you theologians, this is a fun one here. So if you're a theologian, uh, we're going to talk about how the, it shifts here from justification to reconciliation. This, this is big stuff and a fun verse to notice this. I'm going to tell you the difference between justification and reconciliation. I found some good writing on this, so I'm just going to read what I found, and it's really good. Justification is a judicial term used in the law courts. 
A judge may acquit or find not guilty an accused person without ever entering into any personal relationship with them. The judge just announces the verdict, not guilty. The accused hardly expects to be invited over for dinner and movie by the judge and probably hopes they'll never even see the judge again, right? Now the shift here to reconciliation takes what God has done through Christ a step further. The judge enters into a personal relationship with the accused. God does not simply make a bookkeeping alteration by dropping the charges against us. God gives himself to us in friendship. That's reconciliation. God is your friend and he's going to give you what you need, everything you need, when he tells you, I want you to go out and I want you to love that person. He's your friend. God will always be your friend. He's, he always has your back when you're loving others. He's always taking care of your needs. You can't outlove anyone. God will find a way to love you and take care of you in the process. He's your friend. All right, finally, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice something in this verse that's a big deal. Jesus on the cross didn't just have your sin, didn't just think of your sin, he became your sin. It was that real. And the justice that he experienced was that real. For your real, he became your sin. And now, you don't just think about his righteousness, you don't just know about his righteousness, you have become God's righteousness. Is holy, perfect people. There are no two better reasons for loving people than that Jesus loves everybody and Jesus loves you. So who needs your love? Who needs you to be a better friend? Where is there a broken relationship in your life that needs mending? And you've been waiting for something, waiting for circumstances, waiting for others to get their act together, waiting for the right time, and God's been waiting for you. And now he has told you today, I've given you two of the best reasons that you can go and you can love that person, and I'll love you while you're doing it, and I'll love them too. I love you because Jesus loves everyone. Jesus loves you, and I love you because Jesus loves me. I hope you can love me for the same reasons and everybody else too. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, what a big demand you make of us. We're supposed to love everyone in the world. We don't even know everybody in the world, and then some of the people that we do know are hard to love, Jesus, and you know it. And because you know it, you give them your love, and you give me your love. Help me, Lord Jesus, with the words here today. They're hard words, not to understand, but to think about doing and doing well. But make them not as hard in my mind and in my heart because you give me your love that is so strong. And it, you are the source of my love, and it begins with your love, and it ends with your love to other people. Thank you for these words, for the Apostle Paul opening up your love to us. Help us be more loving to each other. And ultimately, Lord, to you. Amen.